You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Tonight we're going to look at somebody that nobody has ever heard of, or few people have heard of. Um, A show of hands, how many of you have heard of Phoebe Palmer? Put up your hand. <laughs> wow. That's that's quite amazing. Well, she's going to be tell I, us anything. <laughs> what's that? I can tell, I can make the whole thing up. That's like when I did my dissertation at Gordon Conwell, I did um, John Barrage, but nobody had ever heard of John Barrage, so I could have said anything. So one guy knew him and he would have really given me a hard time, but uh yeah, Phoebe Palmer, we're going to be looking at her tonight. And this kind of concludes our our walk through uh companions along the way. There's so many companions. I was thinking about all these people that we could look at. And yeah, you know, this might be something that uh, we pick up again. Um, But I mean, one of the things we've been looking at is, you know, people that can help us in our Christian walk. And uh, I was teaching the other day, I was was preaching at uh, a hillside on, on the book of Philippians. And uh, one of the things I talked about, because Paul says some interesting words in Philippians 3, he says, his brothers and sisters, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, or imitate me as I pursue Jesus, which is kind of a uh, amazing thing for a person to say, you know, watch me and imitate me. But, you know, this is what Paul says. And he says, insofar as I'm pursuing Jesus, watch me. And I think it's important for us to um, to find friends and mentors along the way. Um, but sometimes they're hard to find. And so I always say, you know, if you can't find a, uh, a live mentor, find a dead one. Um, because there are a lot of dead mentors that can help us on our way. And for myself, one of the most influential mentors in my spiritual life and my, my vocational life is John Newton. Um, and, I, you know, I come back to Newton again and again, and he speaks into my life in so many ways so that's why these companions are so important they uh, they walk with us and and we can see their trials and their pitfalls and and learn from them um that's why i think every christian should just devour biographies we always need to read biographies learn how other people live their life before christ uh, i think we can learn a lot we can learn also you know what not to do because uh, tonight, when we look at Phoebe Palmer, there's much to admire about Phoebe Palmer. She is a remarkable woman. But there's some things, there's some things that she introduces uh, that I'm not as keen about. And uh, so we can talk about some of those things tonight. Uh, but let me uh, begin um, just by reading, um, actually, an important passage in um, in First Thessalonians. Yeah. Because this is a theme that's going to come up in the teaching of Phoebe Palmer. Uh, when she says these words, she says, um, well, when she talks about uh, what it means to be sanctified. This is what Paul writes in First Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful. He will surely do this. Lord, we pray that you would guide us in our conversation tonight. We thank you for um, Phoebe Palmer and for the life that she had. Help us to learn um, 
how to walk with you by looking at how your adopted daughter in Christ, Phoebe Palmer, walked before you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so again, I think a lot of people, um, a lot of us have not heard of Phoebe Palmer, but I think she deserves to, I mean, she stands right alongside all the other companions along the way. Let me just give you a couple highlights. Actually, I'll, 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 um, I'll show you. Uh, okay, here we go. Phoebe Palmer, there she is. So here's the thing. <laughs> I was uh, her, she's a little bit older in this picture. Um, during her life, Phoebe spoke to over 100,000 people. She led 25,000 people to Christ. She was a remarkable author and poet. Uh, it was her, her influence that uh, brought about uh, some denominations that you may have heard of, like the Church of the Nazarene, um, the Church of God. Uh, she's even seen as a forerunner for this uh, denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. You may have heard of that. Uh, and even as a forerunner of the Pentecostal movement. As uh, J. Edwin Orr, who's like the revival historian par excellence, he traces the origins of the Second Great Awakening, which took place between uh, 1859 and 1865, uh, traces it to, to Phoebe Palmer and her ministry. So she is quite remarkable. Uh, she introduces, um, really emphasizes the importance of women in ministry. Um, she um, she shows, she paved the way for, for women uh, to see, to show what, what it's like for a woman to be active in ministry. She traveled like crazy. She traveled uh, everywhere. Where's her book? Here's her biography. Um, maybe you can see it. It'll be in the top corner anyhow. It's called The Beauty of Holiness. Now, just to give you an idea, I was looking at this, uh, where she traveled. And uh, it is ridiculous where she traveled. I mean, in such a short period of time, I'm not going to, I'll give you a, just, just a, a rough idea. Um, between 1839 and 1859, so those 20 years, she traveled to about, oh my goodness, oh, 150 towns. So, And a lot of them are Canadian towns. Uh, so she went to... Uh, you know, a lot of places in Ontario, a lot of small towns that I know, Acton, Ontario, Hamilton, London. Um, between 19, uh, 1859 and 1863, she traveled all throughout England uh, in the British Isles. Every Oh, my goodness. She, played, she traveled every year to at least 20 or 30 places. And then from 1863 to 1874, again, the list just goes on and on and on. I like the fact she, she visited and she um, shared the gospel in Simcoe, Ontario, which is very close to the small town where I grew up. Um, she is, um, yeah, she's quite remarkable. And one of the big questions that Phoebe Palmer asked in her own life is, is about salvation. We're going to discuss this in a moment. Um, because for Phoebe Palmer, one of the things she struggled with was experiencing um, the presence of Jesus in her life. And this is kind of the legacy of the Wesleys. The Wesleys, if you know them, they're the founder of the Methodist movement. They're from the um, 18th century. I believe, I believe uh, Phoebe's father was converted by Wesley. Um, through the influence of, of John Wesley. Um, and so, but one of the things that the Wesleys brought to the table is they said, you know what, the Christian faith is not just about what you know. 
it's it's about as John Wesley would do in his conversion, it's about having your heart warmed, and uh, and that if if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it's, it can't just affect up here. It's got to also affect your heart. It has to affect your affections, your emotions. And for Phoebe Palmer, she struggled with that. Um, even though she was born and raised in a good Methodist household, um, she she never really felt like she was a Christian. She never really felt the faith that she professed with her lips. And I thought it'd be a good uh, kind of a warm-up question uh, to talk for a little bit about, um, about the role of emotions in the Christian life. I think it'd be kind of fun. So what role do emotions have in the Christian life? I mean, some, for some Christians, like, you know, it's the mind comes first and the will, and then following that comes the emotions. How, how important are the emotions in the Christian life? And what do you do when you don't have those emotions, when, when you believe all the right things, but it's not affecting you in your heart? How, how do you navigate that? So how important are emotions? And what do you do if you're not feeling what, maybe what, you look around and you say, oh, the people are, are, you know, they're crying at the worship service. I, you know, what am I, a robot? So how do you navigate that? So let's just have a little conversation. How important are emotions in, in the life of faith? Does that sound okay? Anybody want to just uh, give a couple of thoughts? How important are emotions? I know for our group. Yeah, I see you. <laughs> I, I thought I'd waved just in no, case. No, that's a good you idea. Know. Yeah, you're, you're way down there. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, um, no, we were saying that emotions are a part of being human. Like all humans are made with emotions. Um, but we also talked about that there, there does need to be a balance. Um, sometimes emotions are are, you know, just part of our personality. Some people are more emotional um, like me, um, you know, than, than other people. And that's okay. It's, it's part of your personality. But we do say that we were, were saying that, yeah, we needed a, a real balance because you don't want to base your whole relationship with God on just that emotional, that emotional highs. And, you know, because you get, yes, you get the emotional highs and lows, but um, we need to balance it with the intellectual, with the the thinking part of it as well. Right. Uh, okay. How how many of you um, would consider yourself maybe more uh, led by the heart than the head? Just put up your hand because I get everybody on the screen. Okay, that's good. And and okay, and. Uh, the rest would be head, head, head over heart. <laughs> interesting, yeah. Well, Phoebe Palmer is an interesting person because she, um, like, I don't want to say that there's kind of down. It's it's an interesting split. Um, what for, was the split between the head and the heart here? I would guess that pro- not always, but I say typically, maybe more men are uh, are are. are like I was saying in, in, in our breakout group, I mean, even though my, my default is probably more cerebral than than um, than effective, like my heart, my desire is that my heart would be more attentive because I think our hearts and our emotions are indicators of what God may be doing in our lives. 
And sometimes as guys, we, we just, well, that's not important. You know, I believe the right truth and I live it. And, and, and that's true. That, and that's good. But sometimes I wonder uh, whether or not we should be maybe more paying attention to what we're feeling. Like I find, I'm throwing the guys under the bus, but I find that for a lot of men, if they say, uh, one, they don't, one, they're not always sure what they are feeling. And uh, second of all, they also don't have the vocabulary to describe it, even if they knew what they were feeling. <laughs> Sorry, I just threw us all under the bus. But I think there is something to that. Any any guys? Dude, that's the theme for the next men's retreat. It should be. Getting in touch with our hearts. That'll be our next men's retreat. I uh, I do think as men we uh, we miss out because I think sometimes we're feeling something and we just don't know what it is. And so we'll say things like, I'm mad. But, you know, that really doesn't help or I'm frustrated. There's probably more going on. Um, but let's get back to Phoebe. Um, Phoebe Palmer, she was born in, um, 1807. Mother was American. Dad was British. Uh, she grew up in New York again in a, in a Methodist, uh, context. And, uh, again, she, she, her desire was to experience the life, uh, experience Jesus. Um, and she has these, uh, these moments when she's 11 years old, she writes this poem. Okay. Get this. She's 11. This is what she writes. This revelation, holy, just, and true, though oft I read, it seems forever new. While light from heaven upon its pages rest, I feel its power, and with it I am blessed. Henceforth I take thee as my future guide. Let not from thee my youthful heart divide. And then if late or early death be mine, all will be well, since I, O Lord, am thine. That that differs from some of my mother's day cards that I gave when I was 11. Um, that's a little more poetic. Um, so she has these powerful words, but on the inside, she's struggling because she felt distant from the realities that she confessed were true. And um, she longed for deep intimacy with God. And at the age of 20, she gets married and she marries a really neat guy. His name's Walter Clark Palmer. Very uh, generous, uh, fairly well-known physician. Let me see if I can show you a picture of him. Um, I think I have a picture of him here. There he is. Um, and uh, the marriage was a happy one, but Phoebe experienced some, some real hardship. Um, three of her four children, uh, died at, uh, at, at a very young age. Um, and one of the deaths was particularly tragic. Uh, the story, this is what happens is, uh, one of her daughters, Eliza, when I think she was about two years old, under two years old, Phoebe had to go downstairs. She lived in this home and she had to go downstairs and so she left um, her baby in, in, in the crib and left her with, um, you know, with a wet nurse, with, a, with a, like a nanny. Well, the nanny um, saw that the um, oil lamp was going out. It was running out of oil. And you know what she tries to do is she tries to replace the oil without actually blowing out the flame. And, uh, and the oil catches on fire. And uh, and she 
and she panics because it's, it's just burning. And so she, and she throws the oil and the lamp in the air. Well, guess where it landed? It landed right in the, in the crib and the whole thing went up in flames. And so Phoebe Palmer, um, she uh, rocked her 11 month old daughter, Eliza, uh, and, and just held her in her hands while, while she died. And uh, that was just so tragic. Now, how she interprets what, what, what took place is really interesting. Um, she wrote in her diary, she goes, I felt this, this, this dead, she goes, my heart, even though I was, she was grieving and grieving and grieving, she, she felt her heart alive to God. And, and, and she realized in her mind that, that you know, maybe she, she was, she loved her daughter too much, or maybe that was keeping her away from, from God. It's, it's a strange, interesting uh, processing that she goes through. She writes these words. She says, after the angel spirit winged its way to paradise i retired alone not willing that only one should behold my sorrow so she's 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 in tears right while pacing the room crying to god amidst the tumult of grief my mind was arrested by a gentle whisper saying your heavenly father loves you that's quite powerful he would not permit such great trial without intending that some great good proportionate to the magnitude and weight should result so God saying, you know, I'm going to get, give you something greater as a result of this. He means to teach you some great lesson that might not otherwise be learned. He does not require, he does not willingly grieve or afflict children of men. If not willingly, then he has some specific design in this. The greatest of all the trials that you've been called to endure. My darling is in heaven doing angel service. And now I've resolved that the service, or in other words, the time that I would devote it to her shall be spent for the work of Jesus. So it was kind of a key moment in her life. And if diligent and self-sacrificing and carrying out my resolve, the death of this child may result in the spiritual life of many. And now my whole being says, with the strength of purpose beyond anything before attained, my heart is fixed, O oh God, my heart is fixed. So she sees this, this, um, experience as kind of a catalyst for this deep devotion to a ministry serving Jesus. And, um, and she experiences something that she would describe as different words, different ways to describe it, but as complete sanctification. It's interesting, complete sanctification. So what does that mean? Well, she says she she felt all of her um all of her sin kind of move away and she her heart was completely completely devoted to god hmm so this is this is an interesting thing that uh phoebe um palmer introduces and now this is where i think it's so interesting because um and let me come back for a second because i think um I think this is, it's, it's interesting because what she introduces here has really influenced the church today. Um, it's really influenced it big time. So she takes, uh, when, the, when this tragedy happens, she ends up taking over her sister's um, Bible study. And uh, she ends up leading this Bible study. Well, the Bible study just explodes. Everybody wants to come and hear her teach. And in her teaching, she lays out what she calls um the shorter way 
the shorter way or altar theology. And we're going to come back to this, but what she says in this is she says, the Christian can achieve entire holiness through three difficult steps, but these are the three steps. First is consecration. The believer has to dedicate all time, all their talents, all the relationships, everything they have to God. I, I consecrate my life completely to you, God. Secondly, she needs to have faith. She needs to hold the Bible at its word and believe all the promises. And God promises in First Corinthians, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, what the call is, is to be entirely sanctified. And she sees this as, as possible. Now, this is a, she's, she's working off of Wesley a little bit. Wesley talked about that in this lifetime, you and I can enter into a state of sinless perfection. Okay, now keep that on the back burner because some of you are like, what? Okay, but that's what, that's what Wesley's, um, that's what John argued at times. He wasn't always consistent, but uh, Phoebe Palmer picks this up. And thirdly, she says the uh, Christian life is to be uh, one big testimony. You tell everyone you can about what has happened in your life. Um, and so this is why Phoebe Palmer is the founder of the movement called the Holiness Movement. And the Holiness Movement is a precursor to the Pentecostal movement, historically. And it's a, the Holy Movement is a precursor to... Dun, da, 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 the Christian and Missionary Alliance. In fact, a lot of Phoebe Palmer's theology shapes A.B. Simpson's theology, um, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And so she talks about this, this immediate, entire sanctification that is possible. Um, and, and she goes after those people who, you know, who, who are Christian in name, but didn't really experience. They weren't, their hearts weren't completely devoted to God. And so her, her life is, is devoted to pursuing holiness or living out holiness. <laughs> and, uh, and so she encourages everybody to do this, male or female, doesn't matter if you, it's just you are to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and live out the power of the Holy Spirit who will make you completely sanctified, completely devoted to the work of God. Okay. Now she writes a lot and man, her writing is popular. She starts this journal. Uh, well, she wrote poetry, wrote, she wrote practical theology, uh, she wrote her biography. For 11 years, she edited the journal Guide to Holiness, which had a circulation of 37,000, which is pretty significant, you know, mid-19th uh, mid, uh, century. She wrote this book, The Way of Holiness, Entire Devotion to God, Faith and Its Effects, The Promise of the Father. Um, yeah, and, and she writes... Um, she wrote a 400-page book defending the role of women in ministry. She says if the Holy Spirit, because the Pentecost falls on male and female, well then, but if you're male or female, it doesn't matter. You're supposed to proclaim the truth of Jesus. And so women had capabilities, rights, obligations before God, and that's part of being a Christian, is, is you, you proclaim the truth of Jesus. doesn't matter if you're male or female. Just go and do it. Her theology is interesting because her theology, again, she's influenced by uh, Wesley, but her theology can, she has like six things that she brings to the table. Let me tell, tell you about it. One is she talks about becoming completely sanctified because of the work of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit will make you 
go from zero to a hundred. If this is holiness and zero is like, you're not very holy. A hundred, you are completely holy. It is the immediate work of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is subsequent to salvation that empowers you to be holy. Are you tracking with me so far? We're not going to spend too much time in our theology, but this theology has a huge influence on the church today. Uh, she links holiness with power from up high. Uh, she sees sanctification as being instantaneous. It is a power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you at this one moment, and it will as the work of the Spirit will make you instantaneously holy. You just need to submit yourself to his power, to his power. Um, sanctification is interesting. It's not the goal of the Christian life. It's actually the beginning. And it's because you're sanctified, you live out, you do Christian ministry. And uh, the Bible is your rule of authority. Okay? So, let me hear from you. What are your thoughts? Any comments? Questions? We'll talk about what she did in, in, in a moment. Because she, she has a quite a remarkable life. Pretty straightforward? No problem? Michael, if you're saying something, you gotta, you got to turn your mic on. When she said sanctification is instantaneous, uh, <clears throat> but is that like kind of like when the Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles? Uh, in Acts, you know, when... Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what she would say is, um, yeah, she's drawing probably from, from the book of Acts. She would say that a person can be a Christian because it's work of the Spirit, but you're not a real Christian. You're not fully alive as a Christian until you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, the Pentecostals would say that you're not really filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit until it comes upon you, until he comes upon you and you're speaking in tongues. Um, and so you see how the Pentecostal movement comes out of this holiness movement. Yeah. So, but, but what you're putting your finger on, though, Michael, is really important because it's this two-stage process. It's you're a Christian and then you're a real Christian, then you're a really sanctified Christian. And that's a separate, distinct work of the Holy Spirit. Now, our denomination actually is, is, comes right out of the holiness movement. It, it does have a, a bit of that uh, theology, too. Mm-hmm. I see. But we, don't, but we don't adhere to that, uh, the two-step holiness. Sure we do. As the Alliance, we do. Well, when we're, when we're saved, uh, we do receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but then there's a sep- there's a separate work of the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying this is what the alliance in in our official theology. Um, well, not says. everybody has that two step. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, I mean, we won't talk about the alliance that much. But the alliance is uh, it would say that a person's saved and then they have a crisis, and the crisis is like a key turning point in their life where they surrender to Jesus and they're empowered by the Holy Spirit for holy living. That's the language of the alliance. But it comes right out of Phoebe Palmer, this kind of two-stage process. So you're saying her issue with not 
feeling, you said initially she didn't feel like a, she didn't feel God's presence. That was before her child died. And then all of a sudden she didn't struggle with that anymore. Yeah. Right after that, like it's right around that time. She has this experience. Her sister had it before her where she just felt, she felt the power and the love of God in her transforming her empowering her sanctifying her and phoebe never had that until right around the time when her child died and then she experiences this moment we today we call you know like maybe the the baptism of the holy spirit or this fresh anointing of the holy spirit she experiences this around this time and she never looks back does this uh segue into like the revivalist movement and you know the charismatic movements well yeah i mean that's why i say for a person that nobody's ever heard of phoebe palmer she is so important in terms of church history in uh being behind the pentecostal movement and the charismatic movement of the 20th century so you think of alpha goes back to phoebe palmer you think of the you know the pentecostals goes back to phoebe but it all goes back to phoebe palmer now you could say she goes back to wesley but i think she's she's quite Quite a re- she's more influential than people realize. Can I ask a question? Of course, yeah. So if you're like a faithful Christian, you're living your life, never have this, you die, you're not actually a Christian? <laughs> Sorry, it's not, I'm laughing because, I mean, this, this is a question that when it comes to this issue and this particular theology, that's, that's a big issue. I remember me struggling with this early on in my Christian life. I would say for, for you and I to become a Christian, you, it has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. On our own, we are enemies to God. The only way we could ever have any affection for God is if the Spirit's working in us to draw us to himself. There's, a, there's this mysterious connection between our will and the work of the Holy Spirit that draws us to God. I do think that there are times in the Christian life where, and you, you've probably all experienced this in your own life, where maybe you went through a difficult time or something happened or some key moment or you read something, and it was like a catalytic moment where your faith suddenly deepened and your heart was more warm and more inclined towards God than it ever had been before. I think that's part of the Christian life. Whether or not, as Phoebe Palmer, she describes it as this distinct baptism of the Holy Spirit event, that's probably where I would push back and say, I'm not, it doesn't have to necessarily be. It could be for some people. It could be multiple events, or it could just be one long obedience in the same direction as we saw in the Pilgrim's Progress. So does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Well, also say Phoebe Palmer, she does not look back from this. Um, she uh, was... Lot, her, sorry, can I just yeah, say... Yeah, go ahead. A lot of this, you could say, too, is pushed by her trying to make meaning out of tragedy. Interesting. If you looked at it the other way. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good insight, Jennifer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is grief, right? Grief is making meaning out of tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of a catalytic moment. Which is not, I mean, either way, it's not bad, but it's just an interesting, she sees one as, I guess I don't like the idea, like she says, God doesn't cause these events in us, but he can use the events in us. Yeah. 
Yeah, how is she, how is she, how, go ahead. And I guess that's, that's the part that always kind of rubs me wrong is God, we were having too good a life. And so God, you know, well, like Job, I guess, struck us with stuff so that we would figure things out. But um, that's, that's what always doesn't rub me right. But I think it's God using a, a tragedy like that. I think um, what you're saying is really important. And I probably should have said that earlier because I do think her interpretation of tragedy is, is not helpful. Like, and I've seen sometimes people do that, you know, where, where there's a tragedy and people say, well, you know, God loved that child so much. He wanted with her with you yeah. her, him right now. I'm like, yeah, you know, no, there's also just evil in this world and there's sin in this world. And, and there's some, and, and so one of the things that drives me crazy when is when people say, you know, everything happens for a reason. I mean, one, it's, it, that doesn't really say anything. Um, two, it, 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 I think it's a misinterpretation of how to understand suffering. There is this mystery to suffering, um, stuff that, you know, God allows to happen. But in her case, it was like, oh, I love my child so much. And that's why God took, took her away. Well, this is her third child who died in a row mm. or like three of the last four. Anyhow. Um, and so that was her story, but I'm not sure if her theology of suffering is right. I think it's, she's mistaken in this. Uh, that's why, you know, and every person we look at, I mean, Bonhoeffer, his theology was very wonky at times and other places it's okay. So they're, they're all mixed bags and, you know, believe it or not, this may come as a shock. Some of my theology may be a bit wonky at times, so uh, you never know. Yeah, but I find that uh, my spiritual growth and sanctification has come through a mix of uh, deep Bible studies and experience and through suffering, through the right. loss of uh, loss of loved ones and going through the grief process. Uh, I think that there's there's been a mix of both. Yeah, that I can't, absolutely. I can't, just, I can't just depend on, I can't just say that it's been the death of my husband or my brother or one event that has led to um, a deeper walk with the, God, with the Lord, but it's been a study of God's word and discipline and obedience and a mixture of things. Yeah. Not just one event. No, that's good. Well, I think one thing that we can learn from Phoebe Palmer on this particular event with her with her daughter is that she didn't run away from God. It would have been easy to say, you know, God, this is my third child, my third child that uh, that has died. Um, but she takes her grief to God. And I think that's it's in that place that's where we could we could learn from uh, from palmer she doesn't run away from god she takes her anger and her grief to god now how she interprets it i'm not, I'm not sure if i would agree with that but i think there's a lesson to be learned by the fact that you know she's she's probably at you know well where am i to go you alone god have the words of eternal life and so there's nowhere to run you know I, i'm not going to walk away i'm going to lean in i think there's something to that well, and I think there, there, like I said, there is a healthy expression of grief in terms of finding meaning, but also recognizing this life as a small part of the bigger picture. Yeah. Right. And so. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Coming to that recognition, I think, is helpful as well. Well, you know, also, I mean, we we live in such sanitized days, especially here in, in the West. Um, yeah. I mean, I I've read a journal of a um, a Mennonite russian pastor from the early 20th century 
and every day in his journal is like, I buried this baby, buried this baby, buried every, every single day he's burying babies. Um, because I mean, that's why people had 14 children. I mean, Phoebe is one of, I think it's six, six, 16 children or something and only eight survived. And I mean, that's, I remember being in, in New England, seeing this cemetery of three little gravestones and they're all saying with the same name, Jedediah, Jedediah, Jedediah. But it's each time they wanted to name their child Jedediah and that Jedediah died and then they named the next one Jedediah and the next one, but they all died, right? And so it's a different world that we live in too compared to the 19th century. But let's look at, just for a moment at uh, Phoebe's impact. This is, this is um, this, she has a huge impact she goes to, um, you know, to, to that beautiful, beautiful place where all revivals happen, Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, <laughs> I'm from Toronto. You can make fun of Hamilton all the time. But there is this big revival that takes place in Hamilton. It was a prayer meeting. And so she's kind of like there's this whole movement of this um, prayer meeting revival movement uh, in the mid 1800s and Phoebe Palmer's right at the center of this and uh, hundreds and hundreds of people are coming to faith uh, she goes to Britain and she's uh, quite active there and she's she's brave she writes a number of letters to Queen Victoria saying stop having your bands play on Sunday that's not right um, during her time in uh, the British Isles, 25,000 people who heard the Palmers uh, preach uh, experienced salvation or sanctification. Uh, it's, she was part of a movement, and this is quite a remarkable movement of the mid-1800s in Britain, where estimates are about a million people came to church or came back to church or went to church or were converted and started going to church. It's a, it was a huge revival that took place in Britain at this time. And right at the very center is, uh, is Phoebe Palmer. So th this is really important. Now, the other thing I like about Phoebe Palmer is that she was not afraid of anything. Because she was convinced that God had called her to this great work, she was not afraid of anything. And so um, she goes to the roughest parts of New York. And let me just show you a picture of this uh, this may be uh, familiar for some of you who uh, who like uh, movies, but uh, she went to, um, you know, the gangs of New York. She went to, uh, it's a place called Five Points. Uh, well, she went into New York and she set up um, basically a forerunner for UGM, Union Gospel Mission. And they bring, because her uh, husband was a doctor, they brought food, they brought medicine to the poor. Uh, but she went into the most notorious area, Five Points, and um, she sets up this uh, Methodist Ladies Home Missionary Society. And like this place is just brutal. If you've seen the movie um, Gangs of New York, I mean, you get a picture of what it looks like. It's just, it was really, really dark. It was described as, Quote, a frightening warren of brothels, low-grade dives, decayed tenements, street gangs. The place was so dangerous that Charles Dickens, when he visited it, um, surrounded himself with big burly police officers um, to, uh, to protect him while he was there. And here's this Phoebe Palmer. She goes in and she sets up shop. She sets up this mission in the, in the scariest place in the country, scariest place in New York by, by far. 
I mean, and she's not afraid. And so she sets up this missions house and she allows uh, the poor, she sets up this home, the poor could come and stay there. Women who are trying to get out of prostitution, she'd bring them in. Uh, she'd give them place to stay. They would try to give her, give them um, money to help them uh, uh, get out of this, this life. And so people look at this, uh, these missions, these rescue missions as, as forerunners for all these other rescue missions that are established over the next hundred years. And you think, again, you think of places like UGM and that, I mean, they go back in some ways to, to, to Phoebe Palmer. And so she has this remarkable faith. She, she completely believed everything God's word said, and she believed that God had called her for this mission. And she believed that she could do that because she was empowered by the Holy Spirit. I, I think she's, she's, She's quite, and, and she consecrated her life. Her life was completely consecrated to God. And so what do we get from Phoebe Palmer? What are some uh, takeaways? Well, oh, there's my gangs in New York. Um, yeah, I like this. What, this is what this guy, this biographer, biographer says. While Phoebe Palmer was well known at her death, she, today she's almost unknown, but her obscurity would not irk her. In fact, she worried about the renown she enjoyed in her own life, feeling that such fame would detract her from her heavenly reward. Like her hero, Susanna Wesley, she was content to occupy a small place if God be glorified. So what can we learn from Phoebe Palmer? Well, sometimes I think as a church, holiness has gotten become a bit of a swear word. So holiness has got a, a bit of a bad rap. When we talk about holiness where we think of oh you know you're self-righteous you're holier than thou and you're looking down on people but that's not the biblical understanding of holiness what is holiness what does it mean to be always set aside that's right. right to be exactly to be set apart for the work of god and so she took holiness very seriously and so the challenge for me is, do I have that same desire and passion for holiness? I think it's a really important question. Um, she has a practice. And the other thing is that she had this um, desire to, to live out a holy life. And she saw that all of her life belonged to Jesus. Every aspect of her life belonged to Jesus. And she, her goal was to be holy, was to be completely consecrated to the work of Jesus. Sometimes people, they get so overboard, they don't take care of their families. I heard that, Al. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, except she kept, uh, she, yeah, I mean, she, she, she had a loving marriage, but I could see that, how that, that could be an issue. Um, where a person's so, you know, so heavenly minded that they neglect the, you know, the immediate families. But you know, she had this interesting idea. She, is, she says life needed to be symmetrical. Those are, and so this idea that there's symmetry, there's all of her life needs to be devoted to Jesus, not just, you know, the evangelism, but also, you know, her family life and different things. I mean, a balance. What did her husband do? Oh, he preached as well. What did her husband do while she was doing all this travel preaching? Oh, no, the two of them traveled together. Yeah, and, 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 and he spoke and he spoke as well. And he was a doctor, and so he did a lot of work uh, with, with the sick and with the poor. Yeah, so they, they had a real loving um, marriage from, from, from all accounts. Anything said about their other child? The one child survived. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened to her. I think, I mean, she grew up, and um, 
in terms of did she accompany her accompany them i'm not sure that's a good question one of the things that even though she did write some autobiographical stuff and that's where we, we get a lot of this uh her diary some of her diaries are missing so that's that's a problem it would be interesting to know a little bit more about uh, her personal life the other characteristic that she had is that um, she was courageous she was not afraid of anything and um instead of um shirking back she she leaned in i always when i think about the get that five points i've done a little bit of reading of just what kind of place that was and the fact that she just set up a mission i thought it was is amazing now if i'm not mistaken um you don't have to watch this movie because the movie is very violent um this gang's in new york but i believe i believe if you look at it carefully the movie they have the mission you can see the where, where her mission was set up just just in, in the back of uh, one of the uh one of the scenes um in our case are we willing to reach the urban poor of the tri-cities um are we willing to uh see ourselves as ministers that god would use all of us all of our backgrounds you know that that uh you know the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross we're all called to be uh the ministers uh the priesthood of the laity um do we use our spiritual gifts for the glory of god will we seek god or will we run away from him in the midst of suffering and i do think this last thing applies to phoebe palmer that god can shoot a crooked arrow straight <laughs> because she has some or some of her theology i'm i'm not convinced of but i am quite in awe of her of her character um the way she uh, the way she she lived her life um she was courageous she knew she had to depend upon the holy spirit um she was fearless she shared the gospel you know probably you know led personally you know thousands upon thousands of people to Christ and so i mean i can shake my head at her about some theology but man i mean she's she walked the walk and talked the talk so yeah she was a poet she was a uh, hymn writer she was all sorts of she's just quite a remarkable person and i think she is she has shaped um the church in the 21st century more than most people have and yet nobody has heard of poor Phoebe Palmer. I think that's that's why I wanted to introduce her to you. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.